Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, whose Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, open and illuminate our minds this morning, that we may purely and perfectly understand your Word, that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing unto your Majesty. We pray this to you, our Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, I'm delighted and honored to have the privilege of opening God's Word with you this morning. And I want to begin by thinking about how unique that very act is, opening God's Word together uh, in our culture. We're gathered here uh, this morning to declare that we don't have all the answers, that we need to hear a word from God, from His Word. In a sense, our gathering here this morning shows that each of us knows I can't do this Christian life alone. And I think this is a good thing, but it's pretty unique in our culture. Our 21st century American culture values independence over almost everything. Think about it. This comes out in a thousand different ways. For the guys, right, we all think we have a natural sense of direction. Uh, Very few of us actually do. But we would never think, we hate stopping and asking for directions. It doesn't matter how lost we are, and now it rarely happens because we have our phones, but even then, even if we're just walking around the mall, we'd rather find a directory, even if it's 500 yards that way, than ask the person standing right here. We all want to figure it out ourselves. Even when I'm in a restaurant, I'll wander around for five minutes looking for a restroom before I ask someone. Okay, we do this. Why? Because of independence. I'll figure it out. Or even with instruction manuals, it's the same thing. How much time and frustration have we wasted in our lives because we refuse to read the instruction manual? Uh, It doesn't matter what it is, a new lawnmower, a coffee pot, or an end table from Ikea, right? I don't need an instruction manual. Why? Just because. I'll figure it out. I can do it better anyway. It's almost as if we think that we're more manly or somehow it's more virtuous uh, to not listen to anyone else, to do it on our own. And ladies, don't pretend like I don't see you doing the same thing, okay? I've been around teenage girls. I know how it is. And how many times have you asked people for their advice, and then once they give it, "Mm, yeah, I'm just going to do it my way, right? We do this. We could have three people agree that, okay, in this situation, this is the best course of option, this option. Don't go this way. And we'll go, "Mm, yeah, I'm still going to go this way. Because we're independent. Right? We even have this in our dumb sayings that we have in our culture. Okay, well, you do you, boo. What does that mean? It means, okay, do whatever you want. Like, who am I to say anything to you? Right? It's, it's, it's ingrained in our language. It means that the right thing for you to do in any situation is whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you feel good in that moment is probably the best thing for you. And we're not alone in this. It's not like it's only right now in our culture that this has happened. Even, even the... Uh, The independent spirit uh, pervades our poetry and our music. People love Robert Frost's famous line, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Right? I'm going a different way. 
Or the song Minority by the famous rock band Green Day. The lyrics, this is the lyrics to the verses. It says, I stand alone, a face in the crowd, unsung against the mold, without a doubt, singled out, that's the only way I know. Stepped out of line like a sheep runs from the herd, marching out of time to my own beat now, the only way I know. Right? Independence, I'm going my own way, don't tell me what to do. Or think about the popular song, and I, I have to say, I hate disparaging Bon Jovi in public, but the popular song from Bon Jovi, It's My Life. The chorus says, it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. In other words, it's my life. Don't tell me what to do. It's my life. My life, my way. I want to live how I want to live. Who are you to tell me different? Or how about the end of the well-known poem Invictus? These are the last lines. It says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul. Again, I'm in charge of me. Nobody has any say over my life but me. Now, this poem was written in the late 1800s, but uh, there's a couple of songs by some famous artists today that are still quoting that line because we love this idea that I'm the boss of me. I'm in charge. Don't tell me what to do with my life. It's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. That's our attitude. Uh, No directions, no instruction manuals, every man for himself. You do you, I'll do me, I'm the boss. I'm making the decisions, I'm following my dreams. I can be anything I want. You have no authority over me. I'll figure it out for myself. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't you dare tell me that the life I've chosen isn't the best life for me. I'm the captain of my life. I'm the master of my soul. This is the culture we live in. And if we're honest, we've absorbed and glorified it quite often. But there's a problem, and it's a serious one. And the entire problem can be summed up in one word from Scripture. One tiny little word from the Bible sends this entire structure of the I'm going to do it my own way-ism crashing to the ground. One word found in God's word shuts the door on this attitude for those who call themselves Christians. And that word is simply the word disciple. Disciple. And so this morning, we're going to explore this word, discipleship, what it means to be a disciple a little more thoroughly through the lens of Scripture. We're going to hear from the mouth of Jesus Christ what a disciple is and what it looks like, how this should impact our lives, and why, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, this do-it-my-own-wayism has no place in our lives. So, what is a disciple? Well, that's my first point this morning. A disciple is a person who truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah and who seeks to obey him in every area of life. Let me repeat that. A disciple is a person who truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah and seeks to obey him in every area of life. In other words, a disciple is what we call a Christian. There's no difference. A true believer, someone who has repented and put their faith in Christ and seeks to live a holy life. Now, you can understand how that's going to run in conflict with our culture because the first step of becoming a disciple is saying, I'm not in charge anymore. And this is easy for us to understand and keep straight today because disciple has become a very Christian word. I mean, how often have you heard the word disciple outside of a church or outside of kind of the the Christian faith? Not very often. Uh, But the Greek word that is translated disciple, methetes, is a fairly common word in the first century. Um, Jesus didn't invent it, nor did the followers or the authors of the New Testament. In the first century, a disciple was similar to an apprentice. 
Uh, it was someone who followed a certain teacher, who learned from them, who lived like them, uh, eventually taught like them, and usually followed them around physically wherever they went. So before Jesus even comes on the scene, his cousin, John the Baptist, has quite a following of young men, um, and his followers are called his disciples. These were the guys that followed him around and imitated him and kind of listened to his teaching. And this becomes very apparent in Mark 2, 18, where certain people were very interested in the differences between how Jesus' disciples acted and John's disciples acted. In Mark 2, 18, we read this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they're noticing a difference between how Jesus' disciples are acting and how John's and the Pharisees' disciples are acting. But the point is that John had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples, and Jesus had disciples. Interestingly enough, most of John's disciples leave and become Jesus' disciples, which is, mo- which is exactly what he wanted. But what we see is that each of these groups of disciples is learning from, listening to, and imitating the teaching of their leaders, whether it's John, Jesus, or the Pharisees. The Pharisees' disciples acted like Pharisees and listened to them. John's disciples acted like John and listened to him. Jesus' disciples acted like him and listened to him. And so a disciple, generally speaking, is someone who follows a teacher and listens to them, takes on their way of life. Now, what happens throughout the life of Jesus is that his number of disciples fluctuates greatly. People keep coming to Jesus to hear what he has to say uh, in large groups. Some even follow him for a while. Um, Remember when he feeds the 5,000? That's 5,000 people who had followed him out into the, the hills to listen to what he had to say. For a time, they were his disciples. But not everyone remains. Some got bored and left. Some left because it was too hard, and some for other reasons. There's many instances where Jesus has tons of people gather, and he says something they don't like, and so they leave. It's what we call a false disciple. And so what happens is by the book of Acts, Luke, the author of Acts, begins to use the word disciple to specifically mean Christians. Disciple no longer is a general word to describe people who are kind of interested in Jesus and following him around. But now disciple means those who are truly committed to Christ. I mean, many people were disciples of Jesus before they saw him get killed. And then they were like, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Right? And so disciple becomes an identity marker for someone who is truly committed to Christ. In other words, disciples are followers of Christ. Disciples are those who have heard the call of Jesus, follow me, and who have responded in faith. A true disciple of Jesus is a true believer in Jesus, and a true believer in Jesus is a true disciple of Jesus. I mean, think about the Great Commission for a second. What does Jesus command his apostles to do? He says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, go make disciples of me by baptizing them and teaching them to do what I've taught you. And so Jesus says, spread my teaching, make disciples of me. He's not telling them to make disciples of themselves, gather your own followings. He's saying, make disciples of me. Spread my teaching, teach them to observe my commandments. 
So Jesus tells them to make disciples, to baptize, to teach them to follow the way of Jesus' life. It's fairly simple. Disciple is one who follows. Pastor John MacArthur has one of my favorite definitions of disciple. He writes this, Disciples are people who believe the gospel, people who have turned from their sin to embrace the forgiveness of God, people who have, a, had, who have had a transformed life so that they are motivated to obey what the Lord has commanded them. The term disciple is used synonymous, synonymously for believer. And that's true. That's what a disciple is. And as we continue this morning, we're going to hear more from Christ about what marks a true disciple. But I want to take a moment and look at what a disciple is not. And this is really a, a, a word of warning to those of you like me who grew up in the church. Um, you can come to church every Sunday. You can be a part of a church and not be a true disciple of Jesus. See, a disciple is someone who has committed their life to following after the person and teaching of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do that to show up here every Sunday. You can show up here every Sunday very faithfully and not follow Jesus' teaching in your life. You can fake it really easily, in fact. So a disciple is not a Sunday Christian. A disciple is not someone who comes to church, gives a nice nod to Jesus, and just tries to avoid any major sins in their life. A disciple is not someone who believes that Jesus was a great teacher and going to church is a good thing to build moral character. A disciple is not someone who just marks Christian on a survey because they think their parents were Christians or something like that. A disciple is not someone who attends church because their family would get mad at them if they didn't. A disciple is not someone whose entire Christian life involves making it to church if there's nothing else going on. No, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus because of Jesus and seeks to conform their life to his life. And so I want to make something clear. A true disciple is definitely not someone who does this perfectly, though. There's not a standard of perfection that you need to meet this standard before you can become a disciple. Not even close. In fact, it's the opposite. See, being a true disciple is not about being good at something. It's about loving someone. It's not about being good at something. It's not like you have to be good enough at life and following Jesus' teaching and then he'll accept you. No, Jesus, like Randy said, first loved us and paid the price. And so it's not works-based, it's grace-based. It's about loving Christ and then following him, not following him and then earning your way in. So that's what a disciple is. A disciple, again, is a person who truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah and who seeks to obey him in every area of life. Now, that's easy when Jesus is teaching stuff that you agree with, right? That's, it's easy to agree with Jesus and follow Jesus when he says the things that you want him to say, and when he goes places that you want to go. It's easy to follow Jesus when everything's kind of just going your way. It's easy to follow when he says things like, love your neighbor like yourself. Well, everyone agrees with that, so nothing controversial there. Good idea, Jesus. I agree. I'm your disciple. But what about when the going gets tough. See, the mark of a true disciple comes when Jesus says things that are hard, says things that make us go, whoa, really? Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. True disciples are not fair-weather disciples. True disciples follow no matter the circumstances. What about when Jesus teaches stuff I don't like? What about when Jesus goes places that I want to go, don't want to go? And the answer to these questions is my second point this morning. A true disciple is a person who gives up everything to follow Jesus. A true disciple is a person who gives up everything to follow Jesus. 
You see, a true disciple is someone who's willing to give it all to follow Jesus, like we just sang in that song, Scandal of Grace. To renounce everything they hold dear, a true disciple is one who submits their life completely to the control of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is only for those who are willing to trade their lives for it. It's not cheap, it's costly. It will cost you your life. And that might sound harsh this morning. And so I want us to hear what Jesus says. I want us to hear it from his mouth. And so what we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke is a time in Christ's ministry when he had a huge following of disciples. People were really interested. Hey, there's this new teacher in town. He's teaching some pretty radical stuff. Like, let's go check it out. People are kind of following him. Um, See, again, they don't realize that he's going to die yet. Um, And so what does Jesus do? Does he rejoice and say, oh, wow, I'm so happy that so many people are following me? Not really. Does he give a seminar on, wow, there's all these people here. Let me tell you how to live your best life now. No. Does he give a sermon on, well, let me just, while you guys are here, here's five ways to be a better husband. No. That's not the Jesus that we serve. And so to see what he says, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke 14, verse 25. Luke 14. 25. Luke 14, 25. Hear the words of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. Now, great crowds accompanying him, just a little historical context, he's on his way to Jerusalem at this point in Luke's gospel. And so it's kind of like the people who are really serious, it's their, they either got to stay in or get out. Now, great crowds accompanying him. And he turned and said to them, here's his church growth seminar. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What a piercing, stark statement. See, this is the Jesus that people like to ignore. This is the Jesus that comfortable American Christianity can't put up with. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus basically says to the crowds following him, look, all of you, I don't want you to follow me unless you are truly, fully committed. And to be my disciple, it's going to cost your entire life. If you're not willing to pay the cost, to hand your entire life over to me, it's time to leave. Don't even pretend anymore. Just go. This isn't for you. You understand what he's saying? He's saying there's, there's no middle ground. There's no, I'll be a little bit committed, but nah, nah. You're either all in or you're all out. If your life was a pile of poker chips, you either place the whole thing on Jesus or somewhere else. You can't say, well, you know what? I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to put a little bit on Jesus over here, 
maybe a little bit over here on kind of following the American dream, maybe a little bit over here on some like self-helpism. Uh, and you know what, just let's mix in some like new age Buddhism over here. I'll put some chips there too. No. Jesus says it's an all or nothing game and we're playing for keeps. The stakes are infinitely high. It's either all with Jesus or none at all. But it's not just here in Luke that Jesus talks like this. It's a continual theme in his ministry. He says things like this multiple times, over and over. I'll show you just a few of the places here real quick. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. In other words, brothers and sisters, you cannot follow Jesus without paying the cost. Without putting your life entirely into his hands. And this doesn't mean like you have to go out right now and sell everything you have and move to a monastery and sit and pray for 12 hours a day. That's not what he's saying. It doesn't mean being a miserable person who isn't happy. It also doesn't mean that everyone has to go into full-time vocational ministry. And it doesn't mean that your only two career choices are pastor and missionary. And it doesn't mean never doing anything that you like. Discipleship does not mean these things. That's not the cost he's talking about. What it does mean is that you renounce. You give up your right to determine what is right and wrong in this world, and you give up being the ultimate authority in your life. No matter what the cost is. It means you must put Jesus first before everything else in your life, no matter what the cost is to you. It's an all-or-nothing game. In other words, every Christian will not be called to be martyred for their faith, but you must be willing. That must be a card that is on the table. Not every Christian will be called to leave their job for Christ, but that card must be on the table. Not every Christian will be hated by their family for loving Christ, but that must be on the table. Everything must be on their table. A true disciple of Christ takes their life, their family, their interests, their dreams, their possessions, and everything they have, and they place it into Jesus' hands. And say, Jesus, my life is yours. My heart is yours. Help me to serve you with my life. True discipleship doesn't mean that you take your dreams and just throw them in the trash, but rather that you take your dreams with an open hand and say, Jesus, if you want something else, that's what I want. And friends, what Jesus is telling us in these passages is that being a true disciple, it costs everything. You can't hold anything back. We must be willing to hold our entire lives with open hands. We don't get to keep anything back and say, okay, Jesus, well, you can have everything, but not this. This has to stay. We don't get to say, okay, you can have my life, but I'm, I'm holding on my dream, this one dream with a closed fist. You can't touch that. You can have my life, but I'm not going to the mission field. No way, I want to stay here. You can have my life, but, but don't you dare take away my dream. You can have my life, but don't you dare send my kids to the mission field. You can have my life, but I better get my dream house, my husband, and my 2.1 kids, or I'm going to be really mad and bitter. You can have my life, but I'm still going to decide how to spend my money. That's mine. You can have my life, but, but don't take away my comfort. I want to be comfortable. We can't hold anything back. We must put everything in our lives on the table before the loving face of Jesus Christ and let him use us as he will. 
And it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. It might cost us material possessions. Because you're a dedicated follower of Jesus, your money is dedicated to honoring Christ. You might not be able to buy all the fancy stuff you think you need. It might cost your job. It might cost your time. Time you'll be spending ministering to others. Time you'll spend in the word and in prayer. Time you'll spend serving the church. It might cost you your sleep. You might need to get up earlier than you would normally to spend time in the word and prayer before work. It might cost you your business. Dr. Michael Brown, a well-known preacher, pastor, and apologist, just recently realized that most of his videos on YouTube had been demonetized. In other words, they took away his ability to make money through his YouTube channel, which is very large. Just because it has Christian stuff on his YouTube, they said, no, you can't make any money from this anymore. And legally, they can do that. But this is one of his main sources of income. Gone like that, simply for being a Christian. But he's willing to pay the cost. Or what about the bakers in Oregon? They simply didn't feel it was right to participate in a same-sex wedding ceremony. Now their business is shut down and they owe hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines simply for following Christ. Following Jesus might cost you your business. It might cost you your favorite sport. Maybe you can't watch the NFL game because you're at church or maybe your kids can't join that traveling baseball team because the games are always on Sunday. It might cost you your comfort. God might say, I want you to serve me in this cancer. I want you to serve me through this trial. It might cost you your comfort. It might cost you your significant other. You might have to stop pursuing a relationship with a person because they are drawing you away from Christ. It might cost you your sexual preferences. Some of you will have to deny yourself sexual attraction to members of the same sex. Some of you will have to deny your sexual urges to anyone other than your spouse. Some of you will have to give up your porn collections. Jesus demands lordship over all of our lives. It might cost us relationships. Some people won't want to be friends with you because of your Christian testimony. I know someone here whose friend walked out of them simply because they mentioned Jesus. And this has even happened to me. I remember I was at a coffee shop one time, just hanging out. Two people came up and started talking to me. They were my age. We had a couple hours of awesome conversation, all sorts of different topics. And somehow then the conversation turned to, I don't even remember what the topic was. Something somewhat controversial, I, I think. And as I was talking, sharing my view on it, the girl uh, who was there stopped me and said, wait, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. And you could see physically the change in her appearance. All of a sudden went, oh, uh, okay. And after that, the conversation just kind of died out and they left. I mean, and I, I hadn't even said anything offensive. Uh, it was just simply, oh, you're a Christian. Okay, never mind then. No, thanks. I don't want to talk to you. Um, I wasn't even preaching at them or anything. Just the fact that I was a Christian was a game changer. They didn't like it, so they left. And I'm sure you've had similar experiences. If not, get ready. Even your so-called Christian friends or family might not want anything to do with you if you are faithful in, in pursuing Jesus sometimes. Sometimes it means calling out a friend in sin. But Jesus says, you must put me and my words before everything else. And finally, it might cost you your life. You may be called to die for your faith in Christ. Just recently, I met a man, a very sweet man, uh, just a little bit older than me. And his father was assassinated in Iran in the 1990s. Why? Because he was a pastor. He was spreading the gospel in Iran, and the government hated it so much, they murdered him. His own son found his body, murdered for being a faithful to Christ. Now, chances are that none of us will pay that price, 
but are you willing? Think about it. I mean, look. Look at what we have in our church. The symbol of the cross. Right? And we forget because we, this is all it is to us is a symbol. This is a symbol of death. This is a symbol of execution. It'd be like if what we had up here was a noose or an electric chair or something like that. That's what the cross is. It's a symbol of execution. The symbol we use to identify ourselves as Christians is a symbol of torture. We follow a savior who was killed by a group of men and we follow a group of men who were executed as well. That is what Jesus says when he says, bearing your cross, we must be willing to pick up our cross, our instrument of death, and carry it. We must die daily to our own desires and wants. And brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to put himself above everything else in our lives. We must be willing to sacrifice anything and everything in our lives to remain faithful to him. He calls us, he calls you to pick up your cross and follow after him. That is the cost of discipleship. From the mouth of Christ himself, you must put everything on the table. You must be all in. And so Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost. It's a serious decision. Don't rush into it. But at the same time, it's a decision of grace. And so Jesus says, are you willing? Are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing to renounce all that you have to follow Jesus? And I would ask you that today. And you might say, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That depends. Is it worth it? I mean, that's, that's the natural question anytime there's a cost to anything. Is it worth it? Uh, if the cost is so high, why should I pay it? Wouldn't it be better to just live my own life? Uh, what, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? Do I, ha- do I have to sacrifice my happiness and joy? And as selfish as those questions don't so- or sound, I think they're completely j- legitimate questions, and the Bible answers those questions. And so that's my third and final point this morning. What's in it for me? Well, this. Those who give up everything to follow Jesus receive joy, happiness, and eternal life because they receive Jesus himself. Those who give up everything to follow Jesus receive joy, happiness, and eternal life because they receive Jesus himself. To put it crudely, what you get out of this deal is infinitely greater than what you pay. Why? Because when you become a disciple of Jesus, by the grace of God, you receive Jesus himself. And Jesus is the source of everything good in this life. The God who calls you to give up everything for him is the God who sacrificed his own son for you. The God who calls us to give up everything for him is the same God who gave us Psalm 103 that we've read this morning. The same God who gave us Psalm 23 that we sung this morning. Scripture is filled with amazing things about how good God is and all of the good blessings that he bestows on those who follow him that the disciples of Christ will receive. Things that outside, those outside of Christ do not receive. Things that those who are willing to give up everything for Jesus receive. Listen to what true disciples receive when they follow Christ. Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to kill and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not only that, God will listen to your prayers and you will receive joy from him. Jesus says this in John So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask 
nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And listen to this. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. In Christ we receive joy. Listen to John 17, 13. Jesus says, but now I'm coming to you. He's praying to the Father. And these things I speak in the world. Why does Jesus do the things that he do? That they may have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. Jesus, when you receive Jesus, you receive his joy. We receive comfort from God himself. 2 Corinthians says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we will suffer abundantly. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort as well. Not only that, we receive all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 says, Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We receive forgiveness of sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We receive the peace of Christ and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. We also receive a calling. We receive justification. We receive glorification. Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In Christ, we also receive the unconditional love of God. Romans 8.38, For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Christ we receive rest for our souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, be my disciple and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, this is just a small sampling of the infinite blessings that are found in a life of discipleship to Jesus Christ. He came to this earth taking on human form, died on a Roman cross, rose again, and now is seated over all things that we might follow after him and be received into fellowship with him for all eternity. He came to seek and save us while we were dead and lost in our sin. He's the creator of all things, the image of the invisible God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the fullness of grace and truth, the God of all comfort and joy, giver of life and conqueror of death. Our God is a God who lavishes grace on his people, who fills his people with joy, and who vanquishes the wicked and all evil. And he says, follow after me, and all these things will be yours. This is a God worthy of our lives, brothers and sisters. He's a God worthy of my life. And I'll tell you that my life is gladly placed in his hands. And I would invite you to join me this morning in that. It can be scary. It can be hard. But would you trust him this morning? That's what our faith is. Trust that God will do with us the best thing. You're not alone. That's the beauty of the Christian life. We're all in this together And Jesus is calling each one of us and every one of us together this morning to follow after him. So my prayer this morning is, would you turn to him? 
Would you count the cost and give up everything to follow Jesus? If you will, you will find him to be a perfect savior. And I promise you will find him to be perfectly satisfying. So would you join me this morning in renouncing all that we have? Would you join me in casting our lives at the feet of Jesus and saying, you are worthy of our lives, Lord. Those are the words and prayers of a true disciple, a true follower. You see, where Bon Jovi says, it's my life, let us say, no, Jesus, it's your life. You take it. Where Robert Frost writes, I took the road less traveled by, let us say, I'll take the narrow road that Jesus traveled. And where the poet writes, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, let us together say, Jesus, you are the master of our fate. You are the captain of our souls. And so, friends, wherever you're at this morning, I pray that you would give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never counted the cost. And so I'd pray that you would do that this morning. But maybe, maybe you're just struggling. There's areas of your life that you're having trouble giving to Jesus. I pray this morning that as we end, you would spend time in prayer reflecting on the areas of your life that you need to yield to Jesus. And so wherever you're at, whatever you have, would you place it at the feet of Jesus? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are glorious. And Lord, you demand in your word our lives. You invite us to come to you and to find rest. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord. Would you search our hearts, Father? Would you help us to search our hearts? Would you reveal to us the areas of our lives that we have not yielded to you, that we're still holding on to? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to let go? Lord, would you reveal to us such a glorious picture picture of yourself that we're not even scared to let you have those things, Father. Enable us by your powerful grace this morning to follow after you more and more, Lord, and to knock down the idols in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just real quick, as we sing this last song, it's kind of funny. This wasn't even planned. The song we're going to sing is Yielding. And it's like literally the point of the message. So as we sing it, You know, the lyrics say, I yield my plans, I yield my dreams, I yield my life to you, my king. As we sing this song, would you let it be a prayer to God of of your commitment or maybe a prayer of where you'd like to be and ask God to take you there. Would we sing this out together as the body of Christ? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.